Welcome to the 28092 Podcast. The goal of the podcast, in part, is to feature local people, stories, events, history. Maybe you've heard about them, maybe you haven't, but get their story. Hopefully do it in an entertaining way. On this podcast, I thought we'd get started where I started. WLON Radio in Lincolnton, on the Startown Road. Originally, it was anyway. One of my first jobs in radio was there, and our guest is the new owner of the radio station, among other things in town. He's Lanny Ford. From growing up in Krause to playing football at Clemson to now being the Lincolnton media mogul by owning both the local radio station and newspaper, how'd all that come about? Let's say hello to Lanny Ford. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. Listen, love to. Love nothing more than promoting where we live. No, absolutely. So you, we're talking about, you know, the podcast is called the 28092 Podcast, but uh, you're from the big metropolis of Krause, right? That's correct. Lincoln County, born and bred. There you go. What was it like growing up in Krause in what, the 60s, I guess? I was born in 1960. Uh, I, I tell folks uh, there was no kindergarten when I started the school. That came along, I guess, about the time you guys came along. And actually, I was more involved with Cherryville than Lincolnton because my dad worked at Carolina Freight. And right. I went to Club Carolina like a lot of folks did, a lot of folks I went to school with. My dad, too. Yep. The, uh, the, Lincoln, the Lincolnton folks all went to the VFW back in the day, and we all went to Club Carolina. And I actually went to kindergarten at Club Carolina. They had a kindergarten up there that I went to half a day and uh, just uh, really enjoyed, enjoyed all the folks that I grew up around and still see a lot of them. I ran into them this weekend. I ran into a lot of folks uh, when we were at Vittles that said uh, that were from Cherub. When I asked, I said, nowhere to get something to eat in Cherub? And they said, not at this time of day. So uh, you uh, started playing sports at what age when you got into all that? Well, I actually, uh, we were the last elementary school to house the eighth grade when I came through. I went to Love Memorial. And back then, they had sports in the seventh and eighth grade. But football, you could not mm-hmm. play if you weighed over 135 pounds. Well, needless to say... When I was in the seventh grade, I weighed about 170, 175. So I was the manager for West Beam. He, it was his first year teaching. He was the coach. Yeah. And I was the manager. And then when I got to the eighth grade, Coach Beam moved up to West Lincoln. And I went up there and played JV football as an eighth grader. And uh, then when the junior high opened up the following year, I had to go back to the junior high to play ninth grade football. So I started in the seventh grade, but didn't start football till the eighth grade. And did well in high school at West Lincoln, where I think I'd read that you lettered uh, and then went on to do what most, uh, I would say, high school football players dream is to play college level football. I did. Uh, I could. Uh, I played, and I was the first player. Uh, Mason Avery was the second to make the Shrine Bowl and the East West game. I was the first ones to make those wow. two All Star games, and uh, we. That was in 1977. We still played at Memorial Stadium, the largest crowd I'd ever played before, about 24,000 people in December. And then I went to Clemson on a football scholarship. Had a, a back injury, career cut short. Came home and uh, finished up my education up at Appalachian. And then got back involved in coaching in the late 80s, early 90s. I uh, just couldn't quite get it out of my blood. What was that like uh, playing at Clemson and then finding out you're not going to be able to complete that uh, career there? Well, you know, when when it happened, when everything happened, I started having a lot of numbness in my left leg. And uh, they finally uh, took me to – I got treatment, but then they took me to an orthopedist up in Greenville. And they did x-rays and found that I had the last two vertebrae in my back – basically didn't have any disc between it, and uh, one was slid forward, and that was putting pressure on my spinal column, and I didn't realize it until I got to that level of competition, 
And back then, they could not fix it and you play. Now kids get it fixed and play the following year. I've, I've had mine fixed now. It's about five years ago. A couple of rods and some bone and some fusion goes on, but uh, I just didn't want to get it fixed until I had to, but it got to where it bothered me enough that I did. And after that happened, I could have stayed on and worked as a manager, but I went to play and couldn't play. It was tough. I didn't watch a lot of football for a couple of years. And I just came home and, uh, you know, get my education. That was a big reason to go into school. So where along those lines did you get the broadcasting bug? How did that happen? You'll like this. A mutual <laughs> friend of ours. Uh, of course, coming up, I, I, I played in a band. I played bass guitar right. and uh, played in some garage bands with guys and just always had that kind of that bug. But I was working in Charlotte in the mid-80s. And uh, our good friend, the late Tim Biggerstaff, I had called yeah. him and I said, how do you get into this radio thing? And at that time, you still had to have the FCC license. And so right. you right. had to go to school. I yep. called over to the Carolina School of Broadcasting and was yep. going to figure out how I could take some night classes to make this happen. And the guy I talked to said, well, just ask for Bill. I'll be here. I said, well, I'm going to come over at lunchtime. So I went over during lunch. And when I walked in, I knew this guy. And it was Big Bill Ward from the old Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, <laughs> whose real name was Bill Vaughn, and he right. was very active in the school back then. And I never, never did that. And then as time went on, uh, Tim was still working at the radio station, and I started hanging out with he and Milton a little bit, and they asked me to do some ball games, and that's kind of how I got started broadcasting football games. That's crazy. The Carolina School of Broadcasting, I actually taught there for about six months when I worked in Charlotte. Um, uh, interesting place out there. I don't even know if it's still there or not. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not sure. I know that uh, they they moved around a little bit, and then when that Connecticut School of Broadcasting came in, it, it kind of hurt it. But the Carolina School of Broadcasting was more about volunteer instructors and stuff. And there very few people that were anybody in the radio market in Charlotte that didn't go through there and teach at some point. Yeah, exactly. So you got into broadcasting then, and I and I worked at WLON too. You worked, I guess, when the Browns still owned it back then. No, it was after Cal after Jack had sold it, sold it to right. I guess it was Nichols. Then Calvin bought it, and I came in probably three to five years after Calvin bought it when he had all four stations. You know, things have changed so much from then. And, and when I worked there, and that would have been because I just got out of high school, I was going to Gaston, probably eighty five or something through there um where local am radio local newspapers were still flourishing that the, the the deregulation that happened in like 96 where all the big companies bought up all the radio stations had not happened yet uh, for those not with a radio background i think it was 1996 the fcc went through changed the rules basically before that time um, any company could only own two ams and two fm radio stations in any given market depending on how the size of the market then they said you know what forget that buy whatever you want well a frenzy started i'm talking about crazy frenzy where uh these companies merged bought one another and it went from you know having uh, eight or ten owners in any given town to like just two or three owners in any given town and that's how you ended up with uh you know things like iheart radio a clear channel that it was originally and and now they like own i think it's 850 radio stations across the country uh, and, and in, at least in my opinion, what has happened is it's it's pretty much ruined radio. You've got just a handful of people running it. So uh, the challenges these days are substantially different, aren't they? Oh, tremendously different. Uh, 
when uh, I was working for Calvin and uh, I went to Mark Boyd that owned Times Oil back in 2004, Calvin was thinking about selling LOEN in Cherryville. And uh, I went to Mark Boyd. At, at one time, he had had an interest when Jack sold it originally, but he was involved with starting up Lincoln Bank and just didn't have the time. So I, I was doing some contract work with his company, Times Oil, and I asked him if he'd have an interest. And he said, sure, put something together. We'll take a look at it. So I went to Calvin. I put together about a three-year projection on what I thought we could do. And I went back to Mark, and he looked at it, and he said, yeah, just tell him we'll take it. So in 2004, in February, we took over WLON, WCSL. We moved the studio back to Lincoln to the original building. We remodeled, replaced the, uh, replaced the windows. And you'll find this kind of funny. We had to rewire because there was no grounds in that electrical system. You didn't have grounds back in the day. I, yeah, right. And right. so you had to have them in that day in 2004. And it was a struggle then because that's when everybody was having to go to automation versus so much live programming that the revenue just wasn't there. And they used to make fun of me because I never got to experience the old four in the door. That's what on air folks used to call it. You do your yeah, shift right. and that's yep. all you had right. to do. Four and out the door. That's right. You know, when I worked at WLON at that time on the Startown Road, not far from where I grew up, uh, the original transmitter with the big purple AM tubes were in the wall. There was a glass you could see through it and uh, and see the tube sitting in there. And um, they also had a... A dummy antenna. It was a bunch of, I don't know the technical term for it, but uh, uh, resistors or whatever that when they signed off the radio station, they could keep the transmitter on to work on it or to test it. But it ran through these capacitors or these 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 transformers or whatever, so it limited the signal. The signal was not supposed to go out. However, it did go out uh, within about a mile or two of the radio station. And one night, somebody was there after hours while they were working on the transmitter in the control room, the main control room that usually is used for on-air, doing some production work, using some bad language, uh, shall we say, and it was still being broadcast about a mile or two around the radio station, and that was a big deal. You didn't uh, cuss on the radio back then, for sure. Things have changed a bit now, but uh, that was one of those episodes where we had to have some meetings. We had a studio. We had a station in Asheville, still on the uh, station. It's actually licensed to Black Mountain. And uh, we had a guy that was our producer and kind of handled things up there. And he, we were having trouble with AT&T with communications. And he thought he was off the air. And he lit into AT&T one afternoon. And I'll, I'll never forget the guy who was doing engineering for us. He called me and he said, look, I got to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, don't get, don't get mad. Don't fire him. He feels bad enough. He wants to quit. So he explained what had happened. And I talked to him and the guy said, uh, you know, I, I want to get on there and do an apology. I said, absolutely not. I said, has anybody called? And he said, no. I said, then it never happened. I said, do not call attention right. to it because if, if nobody's called you out on it, we're going to pretend it never happened. Exactly. That, that's right. That's the best way to do it. Another quick uh, radio story. When I was on at 96.9 in the afternoon, Larry Sprinkle was our weather guy. And um, they had set it up so that Larry would call us or call me in the afternoon. And we would talk. We'd talk for half an hour sometimes or more uh, just about just shooting the bull, you know, BSing one another. And but he was sending his signal to me. His his audio was coming through the television SAP channel. That stands for separate audio programming. Um, and if you ever stumble through the television menu, you might turn that on by accident. Well, what had happened was some older lady had bought a new TV that defaulted uh, defaulted to the SAP channel. She was. 
picking up separate audio programming, and that audio programming was me and Larry Sprinkle having conversations back and forth. So she had called the radio station and said, basically, during the young and the restless, why is Larry Sprinkle talking? Uh, so we had to shut that one down pretty quick, too. That kind of stuff happens. Well, and it and it, it happens. You know, those, uh, I like I say, I got into it late. You were into it much earlier than I was. But the stories, uh, I don't know if you remember a guy named uh, Larry Wilkinson on air. He was yeah. Charlie Walker. And right. Charlie worked for us, and he used to tell the stories when Robert Murphy was at Big Ways and Sprinkle oh, yeah. was still over there. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that Sprinkle would do to the Kaplans, I mean, it, they're just great stories. And I have yeah. met I have met just a tremendous amount of people in this business that I have, you know, I, I want to say idolized because they were bigger than life because you heard them on the air. Oh, yeah. Especially folks like uh, Murphy and Sprinkle and, uh, and all those guys back then. And the, I, I would call those the golden days of radio with – you know, big ways and all that kind of stuff. Um, so getting back to you and uh, WLON, so what are the plans for WLON? I mean, in terms of what are your goals? I know it's a challenge these days for any radio station, even big ones in Charlotte and across the country because there's so much competing for, for entertainment and your attention with social media and streaming services and podcasts and whatever. What, what's the plan that, that you can tell us? Well, the biggest thing, and, and you know this like I do, the only way that uh, stations like WLON, like the Lincoln Times, the only way they're going to survive is you've got to supply folks with what's going on locally because nobody's doing that. You can't put on AP programming. You can't do that type thing because you can get that anywhere. Just like you said, so many options when you talk about the online media that's out there. So it's the continuation of doing high school football and basketball and American Legion baseball. We uh, we got a guy out, and if you know Mike Cheryl, he worked for Dave Lingerfelt for years. Mike wanted to come down and start with us, and he does a live beach and, and jazz show on Sunday nights. He's done the jazz show for over 40 years. And those are the things that you've got to bring to people. We do our sports show on Saturday morning from 8 to 10. We started that years ago and uh, gives people an opportunity to – nobody wants to call in anymore. They'll text you or we also broadcast that on Facebook so they can comment on Facebook. But it's just a matter of making sure that you give people what they can't get. And that's the only way that things like we've got will continue to survive. And uh, that's you. that means you be local. That means that you be connected to the community and, and what's going on and, and how you can help out and be a part of it because that's the thing that will keep us relevant in people's eyes. Speaking of uh, high school sports, uh, there's some challenges for high schools when it comes to that in terms of just funding and everything else because having streamed a while back during the COVID stuff when we did some of the video streaming, that's, um, it's a, it's a cost thing to do and you guys are one of the few around the area that do carry the games and stuff talk about high school sports for a minute and the things that they have to go through to kind of get their word out and get their games out well it's you know it's a lot of folks will do it and they're not supposed to they'll they'll bring up a facebook live feed or something like that and then after the covid thing you guys did a great job by the way with what you did what you provided and then some schools want to get it in get into it themselves and monetize and right. it, that's not what it is. We, you know, we make some money off local sports, but the biggest thing is we provide what I feel like is a service for the folks that can't get there. I've never thought that what we do by putting it on the air competes with the gate because the people that are going right. are going to go. Now, if it's right. pouring down rain, you're still going to have a game. Yeah, they might sit at home and listen to us. Or if it's 
25 degrees, they may sit at home and listen to us. But it doesn't affect the ones that want to go see it. But you help out the grandma and the grandpa that can't get there, just don't, not able to get there. And that's kind of what we do. You know, we still do birthdays. We still do the things that uh, I'm involved with the station in Mooresville. I do mornings for them, and and we still do the things that that you were doing when you were at WLON in the eighties. Yep. That Wayne started out and was doing, and right. Tim, Larry Siegel, all those guys. That's that's what we're doing, and, and the challenge in high school is they're starting to make it harder, making it more restrictive for you to try to get there. Now they're imposing some cost, and it you know sometimes you get the feeling I don't think they want us here. But it really is a service for the community, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, I I don't know if you want to go into this or not, but I know when we were doing some of the streaming, it seemed to me that a lot of times uh, the the North Carolina High School Athletic Association got in the way of a lot of local folks who were trying to help their schools. um, But there's stumbling blocks everywhere you turn sometimes. Well, I, I, one of the things you'll find out about me, Chris, don't ask me something if you don't want me to tell you, because I'll tell you. And, and we've, Bring it on, man. we've had on. our headbutting with the association. And one of the things that yeah. they've started now, uh, they, they went to an online ID this past year, so they didn't have to print cards for media members. And there's a two-step right. process. You apply as an outlet, and you get approved as an outlet. And then secondly, right. you have to uh, you have to add your people that are going to be working with you, and that's who gets their passes. Well, about the middle of this year, kind of when the legislature took over and there's a struggle going on there, now they're going to require this coming year, because everybody has to start over by August, they're going to require a background check. Now, it's $12. The $12 doesn't bother me, but the background check for media, you're not background checking anybody comes through the gate. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, like I say, it kind of makes you feel like they don't want you there. And and they're making it harder and harder for media. and, And gosh, media is what kept sports like that and stuff alive for a long time and kept the interest up because right now, you know, like I do, it's expensive to go to a ball game. Oh, yeah. And and high school sports are competing for people's dollars for entertainment, and you got to do everything you can to kind of keep it relevant and keep it in people's eyes. There's a lot more to it, I think, than people know. For example, like with the uh, High School Athletic Association, you have to pay a fee. If you're going to stream the game as a radio station, you have to pay. The radio station has to pay a fee in order to stream the game, uh, and that has to do with the state rules. I think the idea behind it is they think you're taken away from the gate, but as we discussed earlier, and I say the gate, from ticket sales to go to the game. I don't think that happens. That's right. And you know, the other thing, Chris, that we're running into now, and I'll I'll give a plug here for the local systems because they have been very supportive of us. And that's, as you said, now there's a third person that's getting involved and kind of getting in the way a little bit. What's happening now when we go, of course, we broadcast on cellular service just like you guys did. But what's happening now, you get a stadium full of people and everybody's sitting there Instagramming, you run out of bandwidth. And so we have been fortunate that the schools that we work with locally, now we can't do it when we travel, but the schools we've worked with locally, they've been willing to help us to where they would give us access to their backbone. And then we can get the games out there. Well, that makes me feel good that they still want us to be a part of it because it seems like every year there's another challenge that pops up, Mm -hmm. whether it's intentional or unintentional. 
You know, when we started streaming video a while back when we did the COVID stuff and I met with all the coaches and the conference and everything, the first thing I told them was, look, I'm, I can do it. I can handle all this stuff on the video side and everything, but you guys are going to have to help provide internet because you can get on a bandies at that time, uh, didn't have a, any kind of internet in the press box. So they had to actually run internet to the press box so that we could stream the football games there. So um, it, it is a challenge and, and, and it's getting better in terms of technology, but uh, you know, uh, some counties are better than others and catching up with that kind of stuff but it's a challenge to to as a broadcaster to to get what you need to to pull it off and and, and get the kids out there so they can get the exposure and uh, the parents can hear them on on the radio or whatever whatever absolutely and, and in the old days before cell phones really got big and in some of the places you went uh, we would have to have there were stadiums that had dead phone lines but you would have to oh, yeah. pay to turn that phone line on buy a month's worth of service just so you could get a game at it. One of those was in Rosman, North Carolina. If you know where Rosman is, outside oh, yeah. Bavard and outside of Hendersonville. But that was what you had. You did what you had to do to make sure that you could bring the game back to the folks that wanted to hear it. You know, that even happens at the college level sometimes. Not so much anymore that, that things have been updated, but uh, it can be crazy. Yeah, I traveled with Appalachian for two years with their radio crew. Yeah. And we, oh, yeah. we were fortunate because we were places we were going had, you know, they had fiber infrastructures oh, that yeah. were inside the right. stadium because they had to do that to bring ESPN3 in. And it does make life a little bit easier when you can at least be able to overcome that technology side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's more common now, but you know, even at college stadiums, like at university of Tennessee, where I was for 20 years up in, in Knoxville, uh, that's an old stadium. And of course now it's been upgraded with millions of dollars and fiber links to Charlotte for ESPN and all that. But you know, that, that wasn't the way it always was. Yeah, but if they want to be part of, and and that's why, you know, we're just on a smaller scale, but these universities and colleges, they're upgrading their facilities or they'll get left behind. They want their product to be seen. And it should be the same way with the local high schools and the local kids, because you've got a lot of kids in high school in different sports that when when that last whistle blows in that senior season, they don't have another level to play on. And you want to give them all you can. Talk about uh, talking about radio and WLON for a little bit more. Um, you guys, uh, you've talked about some of your plans and what you're planning on doing. How did you come back around to saying, you know, I want to, I want to step my foot back in there? Well, I mean, was it? Uh, I, I know you had mentioned it was a kind of a childhood dream to do that to own a radio station, but talk about that for a minute. Well, when we got into it, I got into it with Mark. We bought WLON WCSL inside of about a year. We bought the station in Black Mountain, and then. Uh, I was teaching full-time at Gaston College. I just like doing the ball games more than anything. And uh, Calvin was looking to sell, and, and Milton and, and Tim were a little concerned about, you know, what would happen if he sold to another owner. So we just kind of decided to do that. We all grew up together and uh, decided to buy that. And then we wound up buying Calvin completely out, bought the other station in, in Shelby. We had six at one time. We moved the old WOHS that was in Shelby 730, moved it to Charlotte, took it to 10,000 watts, and uh, became ESPN 730, which it still is today. Uh, and then Mark was looking to kind of get out of it. I was phasing out of it, and uh, I really thought everything was over as far as that part of it. And Calvin had somebody to approach him. Calvin had bought Lincoln back and had somebody to approach him about selling it, and I'd always told him, you know, before you do it, just at least give me an opportunity. Well, at 62, I, I decided I'm going back into radio business, but it was mine this time. And I felt right. like, you know, I had enough connection to it. Uh, I was connected to enough people in Lincoln, and I thought there was enough support, which there is, that, that it would support it. And 
kind of like the newspaper. I didn't want to be in the newspaper business either, but I didn't want to go away. And that's what I was afraid would happen because, you know, the WLON has been around since either 55 or 57, and it's pretty well always been locally owned. And there's not many uh, of those type of, you know, heritage type stations left anymore. You know, it's it's my belief that um, radio, terrestrial radio, AM and FM, as we grew up with, newspapers are just a delivery system for entertainment and information, news or weather or whatever. And when all these other delivery systems, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, uh, streaming services, uh, podcasts came on board, it really put a, put a hurt on some of the traditional streaming services. But... People are going to go where the entertainment is. So it doesn't matter where it's coming from. If you've got something people want, it's really funny or compelling, entertaining, they'll listen to AM radio to get it, no matter what it is. It's just a way to deliver the entertainment. So if the if the content, if the product is there, then people will get it, whether it's from a newspaper or, or whatever. We uh, that, that was one of the things, that I guess, after I had bought the radio station, Jerry Leedy came to me and asked me if I'd have an interest in the newspaper. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to retire. I'm trying to cut back, not add on. Right, right. And, uh, of course, I've done a lot of things with Mark uh, over the years. And uh, I said, I don't know, Jerry. I'll talk to Mark and see what he says. And so I called him and told him I had met with Jerry and uh, – Mark said, well, we, we probably need to look at some financials. And when I hung up the phone, I said, oh, my God, we're buying a newspaper. And we did. Less than 30 days, we had the Lincoln Times. And so, you know, we kind of fixed some of the things that the paper was struggling with, delivery, getting it on time, getting it where you need it to be. And I make a joke about this. I guess I shouldn't. To improve delivery, we went to the post office. Imagine that. <laughs> And so our papers now are delivered through the Postal Service. We drop papers off in the middle of the night at each of the post offices. We serve 97% of our subscribers by dropping off at about six post offices. And people get, uh, we drop off on Sunday night and Wednesday night for the Monday and Thursday paper. And people get their papers on that day. It's more cost effective and honestly more reliable. We still have 40 newspaper boxes across Lincoln County, Cherryville, and Maiden. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is people wanted their paper. That's the biggest complaint that we had. Now, when we took over, the voicemail and the phone rang off the hook for about 30 days till we got things fixed. We had people that uh, they didn't have a rural delivery anymore. They had a post office box. Well, we only had their rural address. So we had to straighten those things out. And it was funny. My wife and kids said, I can't believe you're getting involved in a paper. And I said, this is different. This is local. It's just like the radio station. Just as you said, it's just a delivery media. My youngest daughter, she worked for me three days a week in the mornings in the office handling call subscriptions. And it took less than a week, less than three days for her to figure out, Daddy, you weren't wrong. Because people kept coming in, wanted to pay their bill, wanted to subscribe, calling in. How can I get a subscription? Subscriptions have gone up about 35% since we took over. And it's like the radio. If you give them what they want, they will support you back. And I think it's important for businesses to know that local media, newspaper, radio, is one of the last forms of advertising for them to get their word out. I mean, there's social media, but you're competing with, uh, you know, literally millions, at least thousands of other messages out there. So local media and um, businesses have to support one another because running a radio station, and I'm sure a newspaper, is is not a cheap endeavor. It, it really is. And, you know, your support comes from those local businesses because they get it. 
And so we want to support them as well. And so, uh, you know, the corporate buys, as you said, radio ratings and stuff like that, with the Charlotte station that we had, we had a lot of listeners, but we were never going to measure up to a clear channel that had six stations in the market. Uh, I mean, just to buy the book. And you know what I'm talking about when I say the book. The book was outrageous, and then we just barely showed up. So it, it, it just didn't work. So we had to attack it just like we were attacking it in Lincoln. You go for the people that are looking at life and looking at business the way that you do. I always said, if I go into a business and I know the business owner or I've got to know the business owner and they spend money advertising with me, I've got to give them some results back or they're not going to stay. And I wouldn't either. But they get it. If they're getting a return, they're going to stay with you. That's all they're looking for because they want to help each other out. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, the book uh, that uh, Lenny's talking about is the radio ratings. It was just uh, called the book if you're in the business. And every, you know, every month you got a new uh, ratings period out that you could look at and see, you know, uh, what your numbers were in terms of listeners, et cetera, et cetera. But it w- you had to pay for that information from that ratings company. And it is expensive. It was costing us. We did it one year and we were barely showing up. And this is, yeah. gosh, this is almost 10 years ago. It was costing us $60,000 a year to get information we couldn't use. Yeah, unbelievable. Extremely expensive. You know, one day, it's expensive to to run a radio station. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. One day I'm going to do a podcast just on how radio works, how ads are bought, what goes on behind the scenes, how ratings happen and all that. Cause it's kind of interesting if you, cause people use radio like a light switch. They don't really think about it, but when you flip that white light switch, you just expect it to be on and hopefully it is, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we did it, uh, and, and this won't be news to you, they were putting out somewhere around 2,500 people meters. That's when people, meet, people right. meters were replacing the actual book. And the right, people the meters, you encode your signal and it automatically picks up. Well, when you walk into a convenience store or you walk into a shopping mall, whatever's playing on the air is what is going to put you down as you right. were listening. <laughs> Even if you didn't choose, that's what you were listening. But they were right. putting out 2,500 people meters for a market that contained close to 2 million listeners, Too many, 2 million people. That's just not a very good sample size to me. No, it's not. And what's r- ironic about it is so many people's livelihood depends on that ratings when it comes to, to to markets like Charlotte or whatever. We you know, we would sit by the in the old days by the printer or then later on the email or login to, as soon as they were posted to see what their ratings were. You live and die by that as a radio station. Absolutely, because it depends on the buys. It depends right. on the buys that's that right. you got. Oh, absolutely. No, that was, and and that's why we figured out right quick when we were in Charlotte, we've got to do it the old school way, which became a problem for us. You couldn't find salespeople that understood. I got to go out and meet people. I got to cold call. I got to get, you relationship sales, what you do. Right. So here's the next question. What do you do to get young people involved to listen to radio? To survive for radio newspaper, you got to get a younger generation to buy back into that to some degree, or you're Say to say it, but uh, you know the people who listen to that, you and I and our generation are going to fade away. And what do you do? Tim Biggerstaff used to have a saying that you grew into AM radio as you got older. 
because there were certain things that you wanted to know that you couldn't find out anywhere else. Yeah. You'd be surprised of the subscriptions that we mail that aren't in our local area to people that used to live here that still want to know what goes on in the local area. Same thing, you know, our stations, we're on AM and FM, but we're also online on the stream. And the people, if you look at pull up our stream numbers, like when we're running a ball game, they're not just in Lincoln County. They're all over. Yeah. Somebody goes on vacation, I can still catch the ball game. I'm not going to be there Friday night, but I want to listen to the ball game. And and that's the thing. People understand that there is still value there. There's still a need for what you do. And and I think that's the, the biggest thing. And now we do other things like we're not just AM and FM. We're on the stream. So people can get us electronically. You can put you can say our call letters to an Alexa and it'll bring up our station and and all those type things. And newspapers the same way. We have an online presence. But like most people, I take two newspaper subscriptions. I take the Observer and the Hickory Daily Record to keep up with what's going on. But I take digital. But I don't read the articles online. I look at the e-edition because I want to flip through it like a paper because that's right. the way I grew up reading it. But I'm still getting electronically, but I'm still kind of treating it the old way. I think it's just a matter of educating and people maturing to find out, you know, I still want to be connected with my community. So you mentioned it briefly, but tell everybody how they do get your content, how they listen, how they read. We're on 1050 AM. We're on 107.5 FM. We are online at 1050WLON.com. In the newspaper, there's 40 locations you can pick up newspapers, uh, and you can get us online there at lincolntimesnews.com, and you can read it. Uh, you know, it's, it's still got the local content that you're looking for. We write stories uh, about people of local interest, local businesses. Uh, we just want to work together with everybody. And, and so far, you know, we, it, we've, we've been well-received, and, and I think we can continue to do that. So to wrap up with final question here, what is your biggest challenge now as a radio and newspaper owner? I think that's it in a nutshell. You know, WLON is a little bit different. There's still advertisers on WLON that were there when we bought in 2004. Uh, you know, wow. the, the, the challenge that happens is when you start to lose those local businesses that just can't make it anymore or, or get gobbled up by somebody else. And you're starting to see more of it, especially with healthcare and dental. You're seeing local practices that just can't take the insurance premiums or whatever, or, you know, I'm ready to slow down a little bit and, and then they don't understand how it works. And so you've got to have uh, the biggest challenge is educating people to know that there is a need and there are people listening and, and, and utilizing the things that we provide. Same thing with the newspaper. Uh, you, they want to know what your circulation is and what your readership is and, and all those type things. And we tell folks, when you go into a business, let them know that you heard about it on the radio or let them know you saw it in the paper. Let them know that their advertising dollars are working because it's a two-way street. No doubt about it. Well, Lanny, I, I certainly appreciate your time. It's good to see uh, a boy from Krause who grew up here now back owning a newspaper and radio station in town. And uh, I appreciate your time because I know you're a busy guy. So thanks so much for being part of one of the first ever 
28092 podcast. As far as I know, Lanny, hell, it might be the last one. I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I think I think this is something that will last. We kind of do the same thing. You know, I do a little sports show on Facebook every right. morning. We do the same thing. We pull in local coaches, local athletes, uh, just so they can get some of that exposure and let people know who they are. Same thing for you, Chris. When Whenever you get everything up and launched, let me know, and we'll make sure people are aware of it through the paper and through the radio station where to find it. Because, as I said, we're all in this together. Landy Ford, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Well, it's official. It's a podcast. At least it's a podcast. If you have a podcast suggestion about a person, story, event, or any topic you think you'd like to hear on the show or the podcast, send an email to chris at chrisritchie.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-R-I-T-C-H-I-E.com. And uh, we'll look into getting it on there. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 